Amen. What a beautiful prayer that is for our hearts as we begin this new year together. Happy New Year, friends. Those of you who are here and many of you joining us online today, so glad to be with you today. Well, doesn't it feel good to enter into a fresh new year? Do you feel relieved to leave 2020 in the dust? <laughs> good riddance, so glad it's behind us. That seems to be the sentiment these days. Yet what we know to be true is that there are some realities in our lives that we can't just shake off and get rid of. <laughs> that the turn of a calendar page doesn't change some of the things that we are right in the midst of. Because here we are as this new year begins and life is not as it normally is. We're still struggling. There's still weariness and, and longing. Life is not as it should be and we find ourselves still living in that tension. So today, what I'd like for us to think about as we begin this new year together is what does it look like for us as Jesus followers to persevere in the midst of the hard, to find a way forward when things are anything but easy? And today, I'd like for us to take a look at a story in the scripture of someone who I think inspires perseverance. She's the kind of person who is nearly invisible. It isn't that she's an especially small or quiet person. She takes up space on the planet just like any other person. Yet somehow, her lot in life means that people hardly pay her any mind. She interacts with people all day long, but it seems that no one ever really notices her. She has been nearly forgotten. She has hardly uh, ever received any kind of heartfelt attention or care of any kind. It has been so long. For all practical purposes, she is alone in the world. This is, after all, the plight of a widow in the ancient days of Jerusalem. Her life as a widow is tragedy personified. She's alone. Her needs abound. Her resources are few. She is rarely noticed. She's the kind of person who is nearly invisible. Today, we'll look at this brief story of this woman in the New Testament, this woman known only to us as a widow. Now, it's important as we look at her story today for us to think about what it means to be a widow in the New Testament world. Because to be a widow in the New Testament world was to have a certain distinction of vulnerability and undesirable plight in life. To be a widow meant limited options and narrowed possibilities and few resources. It's the primary identity of her existence, and it clouds every aspect of her life. The Bible describes widows as the most vulnerable adults in the culture. They're poverty-stricken and destitute. This is why in other places in the New Testament, in books like James and 1 Peter, uh, we find instructions for Jesus followers to care for the widows. And in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, Jesus draws attention to a particular widow. 
And we don't even know her name. In fact, we don't know anything about her except for a two-word description. Poor widow. That's all we know. Now, I think that, that in our American mindset, we might think to ourselves, well, surely it can't be that bad to be a widow. Uh, she would simply need to be someone who was resourceful and hardworking, and she could create a new life for herself after her loss. Yet to think such things is really to misunderstand this ancient culture. Because a person's identity and social status was established through the community to which they belong. It's called kinship, a community of belonging. And this is a primary value in the culture. See, here today, we live in an individualistic culture. But that is not the case in the New Testament world. A person's identity was established through their relationship to others. So to be poor is not just an economic term, it's also relational poverty. It's an aloneness. And it's an aloneness that goes far beyond needing or wanting friends. It's an aloneness for a woman in a male-dominated culture who has no one to protect her, no one to provide for her. Her very identity and sense of stability has been lost. The biblical description of poor used to describe this widow refers to, to a person who has experienced an unfortunate turn of events that causes them to lose their relational standing in their community of belonging. See, it's a situation of tragedy and dishonor. This woman has experienced the tragedy of the loss of a spouse. I know many who are listening today know that pain or the pain of the loss of a dear loved one in the way that it changes everything about who you are. Certainly, her life was a struggle. And added to her sense of pain and loss is this desperate situation in her society that puts her in a position of disgrace and abandonment and vulnerability. Of all the people in the world, for a, for a poor widow in a New Testament culture has all the reason for misery. She embodies what it would be to be completely overwhelmed with life. And that's why I think she's a good person to look at today. Because as we find ourselves entering a new year, when, when things are still not as they should be, not as we want them to be, it seems to me that we would have a lot to learn from a woman like this of what it is to persevere through struggle. Perhaps as this year begins, you find yourself feeling overwhelmed or discouraged or just miserable for one reason or another. For most of us, there are circumstances beyond our control that impact our lives these days. Of course, the pandemic that we're living through, 
But there's other things as well. We all have big things going on. Perhaps it's conflict in your life or financial stress. Maybe there's a diagnosis that you or a loved one are trying to find your way through or, or grief that weighs so heavy or, or overwhelming stress or whatever it is. I think it's a good question for us to ask today. How do we persevere through the struggle? So let's look today. What does a poor widow do? We find this story in Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting the money into the temple treasury. Let me pause here for just a moment. I I love this scene. I get the idea that Jesus is hanging out there and he's doing some people watching. (laughs) That there are a lot of people nearby. Do you ever do that? Not lately, probably. But have you done that in the past? Maybe at a, at a mall or an airport or just uh, sitting outside somewhere. It's so interesting to watch people and see what you notice in different kinds of people and what it is that draws your attention. Well, here we find Jesus people watching. Watching people as they place their offering into the treasury. It says, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Perhaps you've heard this story before. It's uh, called the widow's offering or sometimes the widow's might. And the storyline is really quite simple. A poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins. I think it's a captivating scene as we read this passage. Jesus notices Not the rich people. Jesus notices the one who is so often overlooked. Isn't that amazing about Jesus? We imagine that the temple would have been bustling that day. In fact, when we look at the surrounding text in the Gospel of Mark, it gives us the idea that that it was a day that was full of conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And it was also full of some difficult exchanges with some of the religious leaders. And in the temple, it was a busy place. This was uh, uh, the area for the offerings in the inner court. And in this place, there were 13 different collection boxes. Maybe we should do that. I don't know. This is a a good good thing. I don't know. Uh, There were 13 different collection boxes, and each had a special purpose to provide for the daily sacrifices or different expenses in the temple. And in the midst of the crowd, in the midst of the boxes, Jesus notices this woman who is nearly invisible. And she comes and gives two small coins. It's called a leptin, which literally means a thin piece. It's a small copper coin. It's the coin of least value in circulation. It's one-fortieth of a new penny. 
To give you another idea, 128 of these would make a denarius, which would have been a day's wage at the time. So to put in these two small coins, it's nearly worthless. It's an inconsequential gift by any ordinary standard. It was almost nothing, yet it was all she had. It was something. In fact, it was her everything. Jesus himself described it and said, it was everything she had to live on. As we think about this moment and how it unfolds, there is so much to be curious about here. I want to know what was her full story and why did she do this? What was her motivation for giving this gift? And and why would she give both coins? Wouldn't she at least keep one for herself? And what happened to her next after this? I think I kind of hope this was like a candid camera kind of moment where, you know, someone jumped out and gave her then a big gift of provision. What happened to her next after she gave everything she had? We don't know the answers. We can only speculate. And yet this fact remains. This is a moment that is lifted up to us in Scripture. Jesus draws attention to this moment that's so easy to gloss over. It's a moment for us to notice. Jesus invites us to notice her. And she speaks not a word. But as the saying goes, actions speak louder than words. And I think we have a lot to learn from her. So I'd like for us to think today about three different postures that I think she demonstrates for us. And I think perhaps our own posture in the midst of struggle, in the midst of a time that we're trying to persevere through, I think perhaps that our posture is the most powerful thing of all, that it matters more than our plans or any resolutions. But let's think about the posture of this widow. First, a humble spirit. Her giving was an act of courageous trust. It was the kind of sacrificial giving that spoke loud and clear. There is a God who is worthy of my trust. And as she gave, it took the focus away from herself. And that's astounding because of all people who would have every right to have a pity party. She does. There are good reasons for her to feel sorry for herself, to be angry, to be a bitter person. But instead, she chooses to shift the focus away from herself. And that's an incredibly powerful thing to do. A humble spirit. There is a God and it is not me. A humble spirit means to pause and consider who he is. It's an invitation to rest in his provision. And as many of us know, there's something about giving of our finances specifically that that does just that for us. In fact, I can tell you in my own life and marriage, Dan and I have discovered uh, in our own lives that the the discipline of tithing, of giving our first 10% of our income back to the Lord 
is perhaps the most powerful thing that we do that shapes our hearts because it establishes who he is. There is a God and it is not me and he is the owner of everything and he is the generous provider. And there is something about giving that shapes our hearts. Her humble spirit is a powerful posture. I think there's another posture that we see in her and that's lifted eyes. Noticing God's presence reframes your situation. Lifting your eyes reminds you, you are not alone. You see, when we lift our eyes, when we stand in his presence, when we refocus our attention, it reframes our present reality. And that's such an important practice for us as we enter this new year, lifting our eyes to him. There are a lot of things that can, uh, that can get our attention these days. There are a lot of headlines to look at. There are a lot of challenges in our world. There are things that spark grief and frustration and fear. But something powerful happens when we stop and refocus on Jesus. It reminds me of the beloved chorus. I often sing it to my daughter at bedtime. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I want to encourage you to to make that posture a part of your life, a part of your regular practice, to lift your eyes to him, to do that through worship, to do that as you read his word, to do that uh, as you uh, enter into spiritual friendships and encourage one another. Lift your eyes. That's a powerful posture. The other posture that I think we see from this poor widow is open hands. Remember the text says, the story of this woman is that a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And Jesus said of her gift, she put in everything, everything she had to live on. And as we read that story, we ask ourselves, why would a person in her situation do this? It seems reckless to us. But as she does this, Jesus notices her. And he calls his disciples over to tell them about her. And we too find ourselves fixated on her, curious about what drives her. Because there's something that stirs within us as we watch her. And it's her choice to let go, to open her hands. It's really shocking when we see someone do that. In a moment when when it's so clear that our reflexes would tell us to do the opposite. Because you know how it is. When things are overwhelming, we we instinctively find ourselves trying to grasp tightly for control or stability. That's a normal thing to do, right? Think about that. That's just what we do. That's why when you are on a roller coaster, it's such a daring thing to do to go down the hill and put your hands up in the air, right? Why is that daring? Because that is exactly opposite of what your reflexes tell you to do. That when things feel out of control, you hold on for dear life. See, that's 
what we do when life is hard and when there's a struggle. And we can imagine this poor widow who's the the very picture of vulnerability would naturally grasp tightly to the very little that she has, but instead she lets go completely. As this new year begins, I wonder, what do you find in your hands today? What do you find yourself grasping with a white knuckle grip? Sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing it. Perhaps there are certain things on your heart as you enter into this new year, or maybe there are even some off-limits areas of your life where you have never invited the Lord to move in. Perhaps today, the Lord is inviting you to come before him with a humble heart and lifted eyes, and he's asking you, he's inviting you to have the courage to release your grip, to open your hands before him. And that's hard work. You know, sometimes I I find myself in prayer. This is a, a common posture for me in prayer. This image of open hands before God. It it really is the most powerful posture in my own spiritual life. And there are a lot of stories about that. You've probably heard me talk about that before. Perhaps for you, uh, opening your, your hands before the Lord feels like a, an enormous thing to do. But I want to remind you today that he sees you, that he is worthy of your trust, that he is your provider, that you can trust him with the things that matter most. You know, one of the things that I love so much about this story in the scripture is just the simple reminder that Jesus notices. <laughs> the subtlest things, the things that seem so inconsequential to others, Jesus sees. And my friend, I remind you that Jesus sees you today. He sees you. You know, we don't know what happened to this poor widow after she gave. We don't know. We don't know the rest of the story, but we know that she encountered Jesus. And an encounter with Jesus can change everything. I remind you today that Jesus notices you, that he notices all the details of your life. He notices the things that weigh on you as you begin this new year. And he invites you to encounter him at the table. Today, we'll take communion together. You know, as I think about the table that Jesus invites us to come, to encounter him, to be reminded of his love. You know, I'm really grateful that as the new year begins, that Jesus doesn't require us to come to the table with our master plan laid out of how we're going to persevere through the year ahead. (laughs) He doesn't ask that of us. The truth is, I don't think Jesus is so interested in our plans but I think he's very interested in our posture, in the posture of our hearts. 
And he invites us to come to the table with humble hearts and lifted eyes and open hands. And as we do that, this helps us encounter Jesus. And I think that's what he most wants for us for the year ahead. The scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to invite you to gather some communion elements if you haven't already and and to pause in his presence and remember the way that he sees you as he invites you to the table today. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you. Take and drink. Will you pray with me? Oh, our gracious God, we're so grateful for the way that you love us, for the way that you see us and the way that you notice us. Thank you, God, for noticing the details of our lives. Thank you for noticing things about us that we might scarcely notice ourselves. We thank you, God, for this invitation to the table today to be reminded of your presence, of your love, of the way that you move towards us, of the fresh start that you give us. God, I pray for each person today who is listening. God, I pray that that today would be an encounter with you. God, would you help us to be faithful as we come before you? God, would you help us with the postures of our lives, of our hearts? Lord, we want to be people with humble spirits and lifted eyes and open hands before you. God, we pray that you would give us the courage to live that way because we know that we can trust you. And so as we enter into this new year, we trust you, God, with the things that matter most, knowing that you are good and that you love us and you are worthy of our trust. We love you, Lord, and it's in the name of our Lord Jesus that we pray. Amen.